On this week's episode, Skrulls are taking over the Marvel Universe. Sort of. There's a ton of news from the DC-verse, and we give our review of the Netflix show The Umbrella Academy. It's all happening now on Cover B. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cover B. Hello guys. I am T here with Chris. I am here, it's true. And although it is Wednesday for us, happy Friday for you. Happy Friday, TGIF. I'm a little jelly that it's your Friday already. That grape is fantastic. TGIF. <laughs> I get it. I get it. Because of jelly. Nice. Anyway, we are here to talk about comics. It's true. Uh, I wanted to take a quick, before we talk about the books we read that stood out, I want to take a quick aside, I guess, to comment on how amazing the covers were for DC this week. Cause they seriously like the cover work was just awesome. So, you know, if you're the type of person that likes to pick up really cool covers for your different characters, um, detective 999 B cover by John Byrne, Batgirl 32, uh, B cover by Derek Chu action 1008 B cover by Jeff DeCall Wonder Woman 65, B cover by Art Germ, Martian Manhunter 3, B cover by Joshua Middleton, Justice League Odyssey 6, B cover by Tony Infante, Shazam 3, B cover by Michael Cho, and The Silencer 14, it's the only cover, there's not an A and B, by Tyler Kirkham, all absolutely fantastic, and there's probably others that I missed. I know the Detective 999 regular cover is also really cool, but um, some awesome freaking cover art. Hot dang, DC nailed it, man. So it's just, they're so cool. So much of it was so <laughs> good. Um, so yeah, if you're the type of person, and there are B covers if you haven't really been in a shop lately um, for a while. There are B covers, or if your shop doesn't pick up B covers much, uh, there are DC's B covers right now are basically virgin covers, which means there's no title and stuff on the front cover. Um, they've just got like a little title down in the bottom, so it's all art. And they're just getting such good artists to do it. And it's just been real nice. But this week, particularly, really good. Congrats, DC. Um, and get out and get those B covers if you're those type of people. I like pretty covers. Yep. Anyway, uh, what did you read that stood out to you? Um, I didn't have a ton that I read this week. Um, the Captain Marvel Braver and Mightier number one. It's a one shot that came out. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, it was really cute. It's very endearing. It's, you know, centers around two kids who have Air Force parents and are looking to interview, uh, Captain Marvel. And it's just, it's very sweet and endearing and, um, definitely a primer for the movie. So if you don't have a whole lot of familiarity with Captain Marvel and you want to have a little taste before you go in, that's kind of nice. It's short and sweet and a little sentimental and taps on all of her little pieces parts. So that's a good one. Cool. Um, I didn't actually have a ton else, but I did want to make a comment that I am really entertained by Marvel trying to reintroduce the scrolls in a bunch of random books without actually introducing scrolls. Mm-hmm. They have a book coming up actually called Meet the Scrolls. It's a miniseries. So they're really going scroll heavy right now because it's coming up in the movie. Right. I found it really funny because I've read two different books now mm-hmm. from Marvel that have essentially introduced, oh no, it's Scroll Invasion, and then it's not actually Scroll Invasion. 
Um, um, Unbeatable Squirrel Girl did it, and it was actually just one Skrull who got left during the invasion and has just essentially been hiding forever. And that was really interesting. And then this week, West Coast Avengers um, introduced that there was going to be, like, a secret Skrull invasion and people were going missing and it was a big bad thing. And it turns out to not be Skrull. I won't reveal and be all spoilery and tell you what it is, but it ain't Skrull. But I just think it's really funny that even though they aren't trying to use them, they're actively just like, look, it's a scroll invasion. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's been like a recurring theme in a bunch of the books. So Yeah. Well, I had somebody say this and I agree with it. Is that Marvel, admittedly Marvel Comics these days, are is essentially just a glorified marketing platform for Disney. <laughs> it just... Huh. Pretty much true i mean they're like oh this stuff's coming up in the movies let's put it in the comics or like oh this character's in the movies and he's not as like name recognition as like thanos let's give him a mini series you know that's a good so, point it um it's pretty much how it is <laughs> <laughs> it's just a glorified highlight reel yeah <laughs> what about you what'd you read um this week i read let's see ice cream man number nine was really good i know i'm constantly raving about ice cream man but it was cool it was the whole thing wasn't in spanish but a large portion of it was it was set in mexico and i just i like that like i I don't personally speak or read spanish so i didn't really know what was going on um (laughs) fair but it's it's cool in this kind of media it always bothers me in these kind of things where it's like like okay we're watching Arrowverse stuff yeah and they go to russia and like the russian people are speaking russian but like they're not speaking russian to each other so it's like two russian dudes like speaking english to each other and then they you know you could fudge that and be like oh but we're we're hearing it translated but they're speaking russian to each other but then it's like why would they still have russian accents i don't know kind of stuff bothers me (laughs) and in comics they'll do it where it's like translated and then it's like in spanish or from french or something like that they'll put like an asterisk so i like it that they were just like you know what it's mexico they're going to speak spanish let's write it in spanish i think that's neat um it was a cool issue and it's still building on this story arc of these two like background characters from like the first volume um and so i'm excited to see where that goes uh flash 65 came out this week and that wraps up the short crossover between flash and batman called the price it was okay (laughs) it wasn't it wasn't um i i feel toward that one kind of the way that i feel about the button i feel like it promised a lot more so this one the button was kind of setting up it was a flash batman crossover it was setting up what eventually would become doomsday clock maybe and was kind of talking about the Watchmen universe and like Batman discovers, you know, the smiley face button in his cave and it causes all this drama. And the price is a Heroes in Crisis tie, like tie-in, um, which has been a super emotional book. And it's Batman and Flash essentially working together on an ultimately unrelated type issue. Um but the background of the drama that's gone on at Sanctuary, without spoiling Heroes in Crisis, um, is on their minds, like hanging on their minds. 
and it did some cool kind of philosophical looking at like how superheroes get these like sidekicks or get these other people involved in this superheroing and it's not all cracked up like that it's cracked up to be so maybe they're not really doing anybody any justice by enlisting new heroes like batman has a whole family and there's like a million different flashes with the speed force and stuff and like the essential message at the end of the price is what good does it do anybody and it's it was okay like it was still a good batman flash team up i guess there was some funny back and forth and stuff but it just didn't really like i said as similar to the button i feel like it was hyped a lot more than it delivered um so it's missable if you are reading batman or the flash and not the other and you don't feel like picking up the other issues it's a four issue many so it might just be worth it to just do it and know um but if you're reading flash you could you know skip issue 64 and 65 and just pick it up again at 66 it's worth missing out on nice and then finally uh life is strange comic finished its first chapter i loved the game loved it I was and, a hysterical mess after the game. Like, hysterical. Yeah, and I was really excited about the comic. And it's it's interesting what they decided to do with the comic. Because it's tough. I mean, first of all, making a video game comic is always tough. Because nobody buys them. Um, <laughs> it's just the truth. Like, video game branded comics just don't do as well as other things. Um, but particularly when you're going for a video game that is so much about choice. How do you do that in a comic? Because you essentially have to decide this is the canon deal with it. And I was a little turned off at first because if you played Life is Strange, spoilers real quick for Life is Strange, at the end you have the choice to either let Chloe continue to live and then your town gets destroyed by this massive tornado or you can travel back in time because that's where the game, the game's all about the butterfly effect and like affecting time and stuff. Um, you can travel back in time and let Chloe die there where you originally saved her in this like beginning of the story. Um, she gets shot and then the town is saved and people who are good people (laughs) travel back in time and let Chloe who herself is like, go back in time and let me die. We need to save the town. You know, she's willing to sacrifice herself. People who are decent human beings with a shred of dignity go back in time and just let it happen and save the town and save the, like, hundreds of people that would have died and stuff. And then you cry hysterically for a couple hours afterward after losing Chloe. And, um, but this comic picks up on the other option. So it, you know, number one starts with them reminiscing on the town that got destroyed and it's Chloe and Max hanging out. So... At first I was like, uh, does that mean, like, are the creators trying to be like, this is... I don't know how much hand the creators of the game themselves had in the game. I haven't looked into it, but... Or in the comic. I haven't looked into it, but... Um, so does this mean, like, this is the canon ending? But then as it goes through, you know, in the four issues that we've had so far, and then issue five's out in May, um, they've taken it and they're focusing more on, like, multiverse as opposed to choice. And I think that's really cool because it applies, you know, it still sets back on the game, but it's a concept that's more easily applied in comics. So, like, you can't have a comic about choice. 
I mean, you are Deadpool existed, so you can, I guess. But, um, <laughs> you know, you can't have a comic that's all about choice because we're reading. You know what I mean? Yeah. We can't choose. You know, we don't have that involvement. But then making it about multiverses, you still get that cool Life is Strange feel. You know, and you get right. to do the cool, like, Max stepping out of reality and stuff changing or nose bleeding. And then her and Chloe have weird, like, really emo talks about friendship. And then you move on <laughs> to the next thing. Um, and this one ended with, spoiler, with a big, well, I, I don't have to spoil it, with a big change for Max. Very big. And Chloe. And it's awesome. I, I think it's really cool. And I'm excited for it to come back in May. So... Life is Strange, it's hard to find. It's very hard to find because, again, video game comics, not a lot of people are ordering them. But uh, one through four are out. First story arc, first chapter's done. It's very good if you're a fan of the game or if you're just looking for something a little bit different. Um, or if you like stories about, like, semi-moody teens with superpowers, then cool. <laughs> Get it. I enjoyed this uh, book. One of the reasons why I like it is because Similar to video game movies, video game comics often don't live up to the hype of the games. They just, they don't have the same quality. But this one actually really does. It, it feels very consistent. So, it's definitely a good read. And now, your Cover B News with your hosts, Chris and T. Time for news. Time for news! Woo! <laughs> I only have a couple things. Um, one, I'm, I'm super, super pissed about this one. Uh-oh. <laughs> not because it's not <laughs> exciting news or it's something bad. I'm actually very excited about the news itself. Okay. But I literally edited up the last episode. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and processed the bitch into MP3. <laughs> And I was like, it's in the bag, son. And then I get online and it's like, boom, news. And I was like, fudge. (laughs) That would have been great to talk about. Um, Anyway, Old Guard, an image comic by Greg Rucka, who is one of my favorite writers, um, is set to hit the Netflix. And it's got Charlize Theron as the lead and nice. kiki lane is also playing one of the main characters Ooh, nice um it is gonna be badass i'm super excited i love that book i love greg rucka stuff uh in other greg rucka news i actually found this out while i was uh looking for an article about old guard to research uh his other book another one of his books Stumptown. Uh, just cast Colby Smulders in a lead role. Um, Which Marvel fans know as Maria Hill. Maria Hill. So that's cool. So a lot of Greg Rucka news. I would love if that continues. I know Lazarus is coming. I don't know if it has, like, it's supposed to be on one of those other streaming sites, I think. <laughs> um, so I don't know if that's fallen apart because those other ones aren't doing as well or what's going on. I haven't honestly looked into Lazarus in a while, but... I would love a Lazarus show because I love Lazarus. It's easily one of my favorite comics. Um, and then Black Magic is also really good. And would be perfect for TV. Nice. So, granted, he needs to write more of that. You son of a bitch. 
you gotta stop threatening authors yeah, on your I podcast. Do, I really do. <laughs> I like bring something up. I'm like, oh, I love this guy's stuff. Listen here, shit bag. <laughs> we get shady up in here, man. You gotta write. You gotta write more. Yeah, right. You, you listen to me. <laughs> I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> if you don't write more, I will find you and complain really loud. <laughs> Outside your window, you'll be all trying to sleep, and I'll be like, Where? <laughs> Try sleeping with that, Greg Rucka. Motherfucker. We're actually just kidding. Everything's fine. Love you, boo. No, no need to do a restraining order or anything. We're good. Yeah, I have enough of those. Talk about you, Warren Ellis. <laughs> Lord. What you got? What happened in the world that you saw? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, fun Hellboy news. It officially got an R rating. Woo! Woo-woo! Which, to me, is awesome because that means that they're actually going... I just... I know you're so, like, wishy-washy no, on I'm it. I'm not even... But... I'm just... I don't know why people celebrate the R rating so much. Because another bit of news in the world... I don't know how new this is, but... Um, you know, the Black Widow movie isn't going to be R. And everyone online's been like, It's going to suck because it's not R. And I'm like, what does the R rating... Like, you can drop some F-bombs, you can show some titties. Like, good. But, like... See, what so does it actually do for the world? In this context, so you know? for Hellboy, I like the R rating because I think that means that it could be just as obscenely gory and dark and twisted as yeah. Hellboy is. Like, yeah, it's sure. weird and dark and messed up, and I feel like that is an important element to a Hellboy movie. However, I, on the other hand, am on the opposite team for the Black Widow movie. I am super glad it's not an R rating. Because, to be quite honest, I think the only reason they were even trying to get Black Widow to be an R-rated movie was because they were going to have her show her boobies. And you know what? If the other heroes don't have to have an R rating to show whatever, she doesn't need to have a movie directly just so that they can make her naked. That's dumb Yeah, I mean, we, we see Chris Hemsworth boobies all the time, and it doesn't have to be R-rated. You know what I mean? Yeah, but we don't see his schlong. So, if we don't have to see Chris Hemsworth schlong, we shouldn't have to see... Could you imagine how... <laughs> no. Like, they would have to invent new ways of categorizing box office numbers. <laughs> if it was, like, Thor number four, Chris Hemsworth pee-pee. You know what I mean? Like, Thor Ragnarok. It would be like, theaters would have to shut down. You know, like, small theaters with only six, that can only show, like, six movies at the same time. It would just be Thor in every, you know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. If we don't have a movie where we see Chris Hemsworth's ding, then we shouldn't have to see Scarlett Johansson's boobs. It's a yeah. fair trade, fair and, and that's all I'm saying. And I just feel like if they were making it R, it wasn't going to be for language, it wasn't going to be for violence, because there's already violence in the other movies. They wanted it specifically for boobs. Yeah. So, I'm glad it's not R, because rude. I'm just saying. If, if Disney's ever low on cash, that's how they do it. It's true. Thor Ragnarok. That's Because <laughs> <laughs> it would be like, you know, you'd have record numbers of people who are sexually inclined 
towards men. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people who are sexually attracted to men, record numbers of that, just just all over it. And then you'd have the fanboys that are comfortable enough that they'd be like, whatever. You know, it's a it's a wiener. I saw Watchmen. And True. I saw a big blue dong floating down in theaters. I get it. <laughs> and um, then you'd have like the other group that's like, I'm not particularly interested in Chris Hemsworth's penis, but I am going to this movie because of Chris Hemsworth's penis. <laughs> Just the spectacle of it. They'd be like, I'm a part of history. <laughs> it's like I met Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> The books will write about this one day. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Why am I constantly pitching stuff at Marvel and Disney that's not stuff they should do? Because I'm constantly oh, like, man. there you go, Marvel. Take that one. You can call me. Man, we're never gonna get called from Marvel. No, I mean, I'm, I we will eventually get called from Marvel, and it's gonna be like ring, ring, stop. <laughs> That's what it's gonna be. Every day I check the mail, I'm looking for a cease and desist letter. Yeah, right. Every single time, I'm like, oh, they're gonna find us, and it's gonna be so bad. They're gonna send Joe Casada <laughs> to come and just kick me in the shins. <laughs> be like, sorry, man, I gotta. <laughs> They're going to tear up my contract if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> they won't let me do any more covers, man. Ow. Donnie Cates is going to tweet storm at me. It's going to be rough. Don't do not do it, man. So, anyway, <laughs> more movie news. Um, and this one I am super not happy about. So, we know, we don't know a whole lot about the Batman movie that's coming. Um, except that it's no longer Batfleck. They have a few people in casting limbo. Um, we know who the writer is. And apparently, they have now dropped major hint bomb that there's not gonna be just one villain. There's going to be potentially four villains. Which, did no one see Spider-Man 3? That movie didn't just fail because Tobey Maguire did a terrible little emo dance. It failed because there were too many villains in the damn movie. That movie almost succeeded because Tobey Maguire did an emo dance. (laughs) It is by far one of the most iconic Marvel movies ever. I mean, people still talk about it to this day, and that says something. But it didn't... The villains did not help. There's just... There's no reason... To when, have that yeah, many villains in a movie. When your movie's redeeming point is Tobey Maguire acting like Dean Martin in middle school, then <laughs> you've got severe issues. <laughs> There's something you need to reassess. But I just... The, why four villains? I mean, they keep talking about how it's going to be very noir-filled. They want to make it more emotional, which all of these things could be great. Yeah, good, but grand. how are we supposed to give a damn about any of your villains if you introduce four. They're all going to be paper thin, completely yeah. two-dimensional, completely boring, and nobody's going to be able to feel anything about anything. Yeah. Like, that's a waste. When you introduce that many characters and you don't give them the mm-hmm. enough screen time, I mean, unless your movie's going to be four freaking hours long, which, I mean, I did see the extended cut of Batman v Superman, and that was, that felt like a whole lifetime. But, mm-hmm. you know, unless you've got that much time to kill, 
you're not going to be able to do it successfully. You're not going to be able to succeed. Martha! <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. Uh, they're, you know, I, I just feel like they rely too much on someone getting on screen and people being like, woo, and not like actually developing a yeah. character. You know what I mean? That's kind of what happened with Suicide Squad is that like, they just wanted people to be like, that's the Suicide Squad. Wow. And... <laughs> You know, <laughs> that was an exact replica of the. Movie. I heard that in the theater. Yeah, uh, like four dudes did it, and then they all looked at each other and they didn't talk. Um, <laughs> did it simultaneously. It was very awkward. I thought it was being flash mobbed. Uh, <laughs> what's wrong with me today? Um, but yeah, it's it's you know, like you said, they're gonna be paper thin, and they're gonna be like. Because that's the thing, especially with a character like Batman and his rogues gallery and the depth that comes with a lot of those characters. If you make them paper thin, then they're just like, they're shells of what they could be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the Riddler could be a really intense, interesting character on screen. But if he's just some dude who slaps out riddles and giggles and like ladies his bowler cap, then... <laughs> whatever you know what i mean like yeah, you don't he's care. not he's not interesting you know and i don't know i i just worry that they're gonna rely too much on people just either recognizing them or breaking the villains down to their kind of like basest elements yeah and it's just not really gonna have that effect you know yeah it's like the difference between bane and whichever batman movie it was that had was it batman and robin the one that had Freeze and Poison Ivy in it. Yes. So it's like the difference between Bane so. and then like, I wondered what would break first, Bane. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Tom Hardy Bane. It's like one of them has a lot of depth and a lot of character and yeah, a weird ending, but like still super cool villain, you know? And then one is just Bane at his basest elements, which is just a mindless thug, you know? Yeah. Bane is not a mindless thug in the comics. He's super smart, super maniacal super plot like he plots and like plans schemes yeah yeah and he's like militaristic as hell and very tactical but in that movie he was just a big dude in a you know way too small wrestling outfit that was juiced up yeah it's 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 hard when you make the movie and you have so many characters because all that's gonna be is whatever is immediately on the surface like what they did with that bane he was a big dude so that's all they used Yep. And that that does nothing for these really intricate characters, and it's going to shoot DC in the foot. Mm-hmm. And it's frustrating, because you know they know how to do characters, right? Because we watch the Arrowverse. Yeah. Like, they know how to take characters and give them depth and give them, you know, weight. So yeah. it's, it's just disappointing when they can't seem to do it on the big yeah. screen. Or when they just don't plan it well. Speaking of DC movies... <laughs> Uh-oh. I actually have a lot of DC news this time, which I'm happy about, because I always feel like Marvel just, like rules the news because they've got so many like pots stirring you know Disney I mean? just shotguns marvel into yeah. the universe every day so i'm gonna shout a buttload of really quick dc news at you guys i'm excited aquaman 2 has a release date set for 2022 that was fast so yeah i mean good lord it was obviously super success- successful i liked it it was really good like fun movie i hope that they keep that tone. And I think, like I said, when we talked about it in our review in episode blank, uh, <laughs> I don't remember which episode <laughs> it was, 
Check out our website for our episode. It's the Woo-hoo. one where the last thing of the three things that I list on every episode is Aquaman. Aquaman. Um, it was really good, and I, I hope DC sticks to that kind of tone where it's like they accept their cheesiness. Yeah, You know agreed. what I mean? Uh, but that's set for 2022. I don't think there's many details out for it yet. Obviously, Jason Momoa is going to be back, which is cool. I think it's going to have the same director, but I... I think am, James Wan's staying. Yeah, I'm not... 100% on that, but I'm pretty sure James Wan's staying. He had a great time doing that. Um, if you watch Titans, Superboy just got cast in the Titans show. Um, for season two, right? For season two. Nice. Um, he's going to be played by a relatively new uh, Australian actor, I think, named Joshua Orpin. Cool. So they're getting kind of a new guy in there. Um, I honestly don't have any idea what this kid looks like so i don't know what he <laughs> hopefully he looks like super pulls off a cool yeah pulls off a good Superboy, or he could look like mclovin for all i know but i'd still watch that i mean mclovin Superboy would be awesome and then finally this might be relatively old for people but it is worth talking about dc announced deceased which is going to be like an Elseworlds title where some sort of techno-organic virus or techno-virus affects the DC universe and starts turning people into zombies. So we're going to get the Marvel DC of zombies. And that's awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. Um, there's a gorgeous, too, if you haven't seen it. There, I guess they're going to be doing horror movie variants. Um, cool. And there's one that is an it horror movie but oh, it's joker and robin and joker's like handing him a balloon and it says like you'll die too it's a beautiful cover it's like so i want good. it i want it as a poster i want it as a t-shirt like it's so <laughs> freaking cool um so yeah tons of dc news dc's making moves which is cool because i think recently didn't somebody at dc say they were like stepping like taking a step back they on their are they comics. announced um didio came out and said at a conference, I believe, like a retailer conference, mm-hmm. that they are reducing their shelving numbers by 10 to 15 percent. Okay. Um, and they hinted that it was because it's all that the comic industry can handle right now. Imply, imply, not wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Marvel keeps flooding the market, and they should quit doing that. I mean, DC's got the right idea. I, I fully support that because if you know. Right now, they have great creators on their stuff. Yeah, they, they have do. great writers. They're really focused on storytelling and keeping things really consistent and, like, leading towards different avenues. You know what I mean? Like, they want things to make sense and not have, like, a bunch of shit going on all over the place. They have some of the best art right now, Yeah, too. that's what I was going to say next, is that they have great art, both interior and cover. Because, like, Marvel will have great covers and then the interior blows. Yeah. And you know realistically people are getting burnt out like at my local shop i honestly have not talked to a single person that is getting every single age of x-man that's going on because marvel not learning from the past put out well it's actually it's not even marvel but i'll get to that put out a x-men event that has like five or six five issue miniseries you know People don't want to do that. But the biggest issue, it's not even Marvel. It's that comic shops won't learn their lesson. So Marvel does this and they're like, uh-oh, 
you know, what if our customers want this? What if this is the title that, like, has a new character in it and blows up, you know? Yeah. So they order it, and then Marvel gets the money. Because Marvel doesn't care if you or I buy it. Right. They care if the stores buy it. And yeah. the stores are not telling Marvel that they're doing anything wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Marvel's not... Doesn't have to learn its lesson. Because they can do... You know, because they've got Hunted coming up in Spider-Man. And they're doing a bunch of, like, one-shots on that. They've got War of Realms coming up. And there's a bunch of minis with that. There's, like, an X-Men mini, a Punisher mini. Uh, War of War of Realms, War Scrolls, War of Realms. There's another War of Realms one, and then like the main series. What does that have and anything to do with? It, all of though? this is going on while they're also doing these Age of X Men series. Oh my god! So like, it's so excessive. Three events at the same time, plus your regular comics. They're doing Age of Rebellion now. They just got done doing Age of Republic for Star Wars, which was a bunch of different one shots with a bunch of different covers. Like they are flooding the market. So I fully support DC being like, hey, we're going to focus on books that actually make people want to buy them and read them and have good art. We're going to get great artists. We're going to use our money on getting good artists and good storytellers and good writing and a unified universe. And we're going to bring Black Label out. Black Label is revived from the dead. They've got a new Black Label title coming in May. um, Last Night on Earth with Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. And number so, three, Batman Dam's coming out. Yeah, Batman in May, too. In May, yeah. So I think they're going to revive. I think they're making a push to revive Black Label in May for the summer. That's and then nice. they might have like new titles popping up, but cool. we'll see. Um, but I don't know. I support it. But anyway, DC's got a lot going on right now, which is cool. Good for you, DC. So, way to go. Also, apparently, if you haven't watched it, Doom Patrol is apparently great. I need to watch it, but check we'll it out. We'll get there. Doom Patrol, yeah. So this week, we wanted to close out by giving you our review of the much-talked-about new Netflix show, Umbrella Academy. Yes. So Umbrella Academy is a comic done for Dark Horse by Gerard Way and Gabriel Ba. Um, And if you know the name Gerard Way, it's because he was the lead singer from My Chemical Romance. Yes. That same guy with the eyeliner. Not kidding. He's awesome. And yeah, he also, he recently has gone on in the comics world to do stuff for the DC Young Animals line. Um, I personally, neither of us, right, Mm -mm. have actually read the original Umbrella Academy. So unfortunately, we can't give you much detail on how it compares. I've heard it's very different. Honestly, I think that's a good thing. I'll get to that later. But um, (laughs) I loved it. It was very, very good. Um, it had its moments that got a little trivial for me where a lot of it just broke down to, there was so many episodes focused around like this person's mad at this person because they won't communicate. And this, you know, this person, something weird happened with their powers. But for some reason, these people that also have superpowers just don't get it. You know, (laughs) they just can't wrap their minds around. And it's, it's like. A lot of the plot, I felt like, was pushed by people either getting really easily annoyed with each other or being confused by things that they shouldn't be confused by, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, it makes sense to an extent because they're, you know, the whole thing is that they're a very dysfunctional family. Um, But otherwise, it was good. It was really good. I loved, I always comment on soundtrack, I loved the soundtrack because it was almost oddly juxtaposed 
they used a lot of like really recognizable songs in areas that you wouldn't necessarily like that didn't necessarily fit the theme all the yeah. time and especially because they used songs that had like very definable lyrics like songs you could listen to and you like immediately hear the lyrics but the lyrics didn't really match up to what was happening right and i just think that was cool you know like sometimes the music would work for the scene but the lyrics were like really weirdly juxtaposed and right. sometimes the music was really weirdly juxtaposed it was cool like it, it created this kind of almost postmodern cacophony <laughs> stuff was like going a weird on weird tension yeah yeah this odd um yeah like just surrealism about it and it was it was it was cool so i i also enjoyed it um one of my favorite parts about it is that it's incredibly steeped in fantastic realism so you have these people with powers and you have mm-hmm. you know this guy who's now part gorilla or chimp or something and you you have all this weird stuff in the world and like time travel but it's still centered in a very realistic normal environment Mm -hmm. like there's never a highlight on oh wow the superhero stuff is weird it's just there and it exists the whole plot begins with 46 43 46 i think women end up having babies Mm -hmm. all on the same day when they woke up and weren't pregnant to begin with in the beginning of the day and but that's not treated like that weird it just is it just kind of happens yeah. yeah it just exists. it felt very yeah in a way it felt very tim burtony and yeah. I'll, I'll hit on that again so at this point i want to put out a big spoiler warning spoiler alert. so any spoiler comments we have uh we'll put after this point so if you don't want to hear spoilers stop listening skip ahead um to some area or you don't have to hear the outro we'll go ahead and say goodbye to you bye people who don't want spoilers bye um so anyway real quick the plot of this is that like t said a certain amount of women randomly one day in 1988 or nine or nine sometime in the late 80s yeah had they all had babies even though they were not pregnant at the start of the day um this rich billionaire, as opposed to a poor billionaire, way to go, Chris, um, <laughs> an adventurer, an entrepreneur, he goes around the world and he ends up collecting, he ends up buying seven of these kids. Yeah. And what he finds out is that they have remarkable abilities and he tests on them and trains them and he turns six of them into a superhero team a la the X-Men. Yes. And they all have various powers, like one of them can teleport, one of them super strong, one of them can like make people do stuff by telling them a quote-unquote rumor it's really cool and then number seven is normal and is kind of the outcast no powers and she's played by ellen page who's playing tommy wiseau playing this role (laughs) um it it was weird me out i'll come back to that (laughs) hashtag love you ellen but good lord i kept seeing tommy (laughs) I kept expecting, like, I did not hit her! I did not! Um, But yeah, and so the story develops with the dad, the billionaire guy, dies. They all come back together. One of them, that the teleporty one, disappeared and eventually comes back. Like, he disappeared years ago. And he comes back, reveals that he had traveled in time and found the apocalypse. 
So he knows what day the apocalypse is going to happen. And it's going to happen in like six, six days. days. From that point, there's family turmoil. There's love interests being developed. Um, there's two time traveling assassins trying to kill five, who is the time traveling one. Um, there's people revealing how their powers have changed. There's struggles over leadership. There's the eventual apocalypse. And then again, they time travel and they try it again. And it's, it's, it's one of those, like you said, it's one of those things I love so much when a show has a lot of weird going on and they're just, they look at you and they're like, this is what it is. Go with it. Deal with it. Yeah. And that, in my opinion, that's why it felt very Tim Burton-y. I see um, that. Because a lot of Tim Burton stuff does that. And it was also the settings felt very Tim Burton. Like there was the donut shop felt very like Tim Burton movie. Right. Very like Beetlejuice and Edward Scissorhands I and stuff. I can see that. And um, you know, it had this like, it was set in a modern age, but it had all this like weird retro stuff. You yeah, know what I mean? That's true. Because it was set in 2019, but like they lived in this big old house and they drove old cars and the donut shop was like super retro and like no one really used cell phones like they all used pay phones like yeah. it was super retro it really was and it like was very like one of them lived on the moon in like a very retro like moon house and stuff <laughs> like it was very like it was set in 20 like they referenced that it's set in 2019 but it very much felt like it was set in like the fifties or the sixties. Yeah. You know it was what I mean? very cool. Which was awesome. It was freaking amazing. So I guess they did use cell phones. The cops use cell phones. And I think Diego used a cell phone a few times. But you don't see it as much. It's not like yeah. everyone's like calling each other on cell phones and stuff. People you know? aren't trying to Google answers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like at one point, uh Allison, one of the characters, calls her daughter on a payphone. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but it was cool. I liked it. So I have a hot take. Okay. <laughs> and people are probably going to argue with me on this. And that's fine. You can argue. Also, again, spoiler warning. So Ellen Page's character, she plays Vanya, who yeah. is the normie. Um, but by the end of the show, we find out she's not quite as normie as we thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, I disliked her character from start to finish. I agree. I thought she was super uninteresting. I thought, like, I don't know. She wasn't relatable. She was kind of wishy-washy and bland. Mm -hmm. And I felt like her plot was the least interesting of everybody else's Mm -hmm. and the most stereotyped. Because she plays this very, you know, isolated, broody, loner character, which... I get it. That's the point when you've been isolated from your entire family and treated like dirt since you were mm-hmm. a wee little child. You're probably going to be kind of a weird isolated loner. Yeah. But it was just really hard to root for her because she just felt so ambivalent. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, yeah, she was, she grew up in this, you know, household that was not perfect you know she suffered severe neglect and like emotional being constantly told that she can't join and like there's one part where they're taking a picture and she's like you forgot me and the dad's like i I did not or whatever you know what i mean like she's constantly being like to her face like you are not included in this and but at the same time you know they come together over the dad's death and everyone's a little like 
antagonistic towards her because she wrote like a tell-all book about them yeah and it was embarrassing i guess and um though they never referenced like why it wasn't yeah what she said um but she also doesn't really try to make things better yes you know what i mean like allison at least tries like she starts to try to make things better she makes and luther doesn't really have a whole lot of like interaction with vanya but i feel like he would want to try to make things better and then like diego and klaus and five they're a lost cause i mean five actually like still talks to her and like treats her like a normal person pretty much like they have a couple of conversations but she doesn't really do anything either to try to like make it better or like approach she just kind of like wanders in is like hey guys and they're like we're mad at you about stuff and she's like oh okay and she's like hypersensitive when they when they're like hey you know we're having a family talk because they all have powers and they can do something she gets like super pissed off and it's like she wants to tell them about like oh i made first chair you know violin so just freaking tell them you know like be like hey can i hang out while you have a meeting like is that okay you know yeah exactly and can we maybe get coffee like reach out to them to try to olive branch with them and try to like make things work with them and don't get mad every time they don't to you yeah and i i the character doesn't have any personality Mm -hmm. and i thought for a while that that was intentional because they do talk about how she's on you know moods you know suppressants and that maybe she's this way because they show her when she's younger and she kind of the younger version of vanya actually has some spunk and some personality and emotion and you know opinion and then as an adult she's very bland and kind of like unemotional and non-existent and i thought that was part of the thing but as soon as she goes off of the mood inhibitors the only emotion we ever see is either like rage and then bland again. Like, there's no high end. Mm-hmm. It's all super moody or nothing. Yeah. And I'm like, that's not personality, though. That's not depth. That's just, you know, cardboard and then rage monster. Yeah. And and that, that doesn't help the character, in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think the biggest disappointment I had um, was that I was disappointed in the reveal of who Leonard actually was. Yeah, you know, I agree. I was, I had this theory going that he was number eight. So they, everyone was numbered, like Luther's number one and Vanya's number seven, and number five is literally just called number five. He has no name, um, which is super weird. Yeah, it's <laughs> but I kind of like it. It's the kitschiness of the story. Yeah. Um, and I was really expecting this guy Leonard, who gets with Vanya and manipulates her, and it's like super condescending from the start. Like I didn't like him from the get go. I knew there was something weird there. Um. I was really expecting he was going to be like number eight. He was going to be revealed to have some sort of power. And for whatever reason, like the dad got him, but kept him like away or did something crazy to him. Cause he had this like weird, like maniacal hard on for the dad. Yeah. You know, well, what we find out, you know, and to those of you who watched it, cause I'm assuming if you're listening this far, you've watched it to those who didn't again spoilers um what we find out is that he is essentially the kid from the incredibles you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean which it's true i think the book this book came out before the incredibles and i mean stories sometimes have similar themes it doesn't mean somebody's ripping off somebody else just look at books of magic and harry potter 
Um, but he's essentially just this fan of the Umbrella Academy who went to go see them and was like born on the same day at the same time they were, but not in the means that they were. And he gets told that he's ordinary and embarrassed. And so then he like manipulates one of them into becoming a supervillain. Yeah. And it's like, eh, you know, I, <laughs> it's just frustrating because it's, it's like, it's not as exciting as it could have been. It was, it's yeah, it was, just, it was just kind of lame. Yeah. yeah. I, and it, again, I didn't read the book, so I don't know if that's something from the book or what, but I just thought that was kind of a lame turn. As for the book, if you're somebody who read the book and you're interested in watching the show, know that I've heard from a lot of people that it's very different. Now, I want to kind of lecture people real quick because we need to stop being upset when a book and a movie or a TV show are different in significant ways. Because the way you need to look at it is, I like this book. Now I have a way to enjoy the story again in its own unique experience. Hmm. As opposed to just having that book plastered on the freaking screen page by page, wouldn't you rather have it as like its own unique thing? You know what I mean? Because then you can appreciate the show and appreciate the book without constantly throwing them together. That's a good point. If a movie is significantly different from a book, you're less likely to be disappointed because if you're pulling directly from the source material and it's it's close, yeah, yeah. it's never going to be the same. Yeah. And the book, in true-to-life fashion, will always be better than the movie. But if they make the movie or show or whatever different, then you can enjoy it for its own purpose. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be that direct, oh, well, they did it like this in the book. Because it's not the same and it's not trying to be the same. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's, I feel like it's better for books and movies to be able to stand on their own legs in their own unique way. I honestly would be more upset if a book or like a video game or something that I really enjoyed was getting turned into a movie and I went and it was like literally start to finish the exact same thing. That would frustrate me. You know what I mean? Or hell, if it was a book, like an actual read book, and, you know, the character acted different than how I read their tone, or, like, they looked different than how I pictured them in my brain. Like, there are people that get legitimately pissed about that. And I'm like, but can it just be its own thing? You know what I mean? Shouldn't it just be able to stand on its own legs, and you appreciate it or don't appreciate it for its own individual reasons? And then the book, you appreciate and you don't appreciate for its own specific reasons and don't constantly like slam them together and be like, why are you no fit? You know? Yeah, no, it's true. The more different it tries to be, the easier it is to accept the differences yeah. as a whole because it makes it an entirely different IP. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important because it is when you, I'm one of those people that if the movie is really close to the same as the book, but then they like change something then I get aggro about it because I'm like, well, if you're going to do everything consistent anyway, you might as well do the whole thing. Yeah. So if you have it significantly different, you don't have that initial like knee jerk. That's not how I wanted it to be. That doesn't fit. Yeah. Right. Granted, I've only talked to a few people that have been upset about how different it is. Most people are like, it's different. It makes sense. Whatever. Um, but for the people that do kind of get aggressively mad when a movie or a TV show deviates from its source material, 
just don't like just accept that they're two different things and if you love this thing then they're giving you two different ways to experience it you know what i mean it's like ordering two pizzas and one of them is extra cheese one of them's pepperoni and you love pizza but you're not gonna be pissed because the pepperoni has pepperoni on it or the cheese doesn't you're just (laughs) gonna experience them in different ways right so you have two umbrella academy pizzas (laughs) and you can enjoy them However you enjoy pizza. I like cheese. Yeah, me too. I'm, I also, we differ on this. I like pineapple on my pizza. Sinner. But I also don't eat meat, so I don't eat ham on a pizza, so it's literally like Just pineapple. pineapple and onion pizza. Gross. I know. You should I'm be weird. ashamed. Whatever, to each their own, right? Mm-hmm. We, we all, we need all the flavors in the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Black and white. <laughs> you can't see it, but he's dancing and it's great. <laughs> Shaman family. On that note, that wraps it up for this week. Thank you for listening. If you want more Cover B, you can check us out on our website or any of the places where you typically listen to podcasts, be it some sort of Apple device or a Google thingy or uh, like Spotify or if you listen to podcasts with a glass through a door to your roommate's room. However you listen to podcasts, you can listen to us. Um... You can check us out on Facebook. At Cover B Podcast. And the Twitter. At Cover B Podcast. And you can find T and I on Instagram. Yes, and you can see where both of our Instagrams are on our website, www.coverbpodcast.com. And hey, isn't your head cold? Would you like a sweet hat? Well, guess what? We have merch Heck yeah, on we our do. website. Hats, shirts, totes, I Tote think. Tote bags. Um, Everybody needs a tote bag. Stickers. Do we have stickers? stickers yes. Yeah. I think so. So, if there's not, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get them we'll up. We'll work it out. <laughs> if you want to vandalize some street posts with our sticker, that would be dope. Yeah, we, I mean, we don't, uh, we're not actively promoting vandalism. I'm promoting it. I'm actively promoting Stop it. Stop doing that. If you want to put stickers all over Greg Rucka's house. <laughs> Cover B does not suggest you should vandalize a professional author's house. Anyway, on that note, we will see you next week for our next episode of Cover B. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Bye.